Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, how many of you on the audience remember Captain Kirk saying, beam me up, Scotty? Well, you might be remembering that incorrectly because Captain Kirk never said, beam me up, Scotty, ever in the original show. Now, why do I say this? Is because there's so many of these little hiccups, if you will, in the Matrix that we remember things one way, but in reality, at least in this one, does not line up correctly with what we remember. Well, today's guest is going to clarify what the heck is going on. We have in the show physicist Cynthia Sue Larson, and we are going to be talking about the Mandela effect. Now, don't worry if you don't know what that is, because we are going to go deep down that rabbit hole. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Cynthia Sue Larson. How are you doing, Cynthia? Awesome. Alex, such a pleasure to be with you today. Love oh, your show. You. Love oh your my show, God. So. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I truly appreciate that. I, I am a fan of yours and the work that you're doing in the world as well. We're here, we're going to be talking about your book, Quantum Jumps, uh, and we're going to get into the weeds on some stuff because if anyone who listens to my show knows, I love these conversations about reality, about quantum shifting, about the Mandela effect. We're going to go deep down some rabbit holes. So everybody listening, prepare yourself because this is going to be a fun episode. So Cynthia, first question is you are a quantum physicist, correct? Uh, Or a physicist. Yeah. I got my degree at UC Berkeley, right? And I've written a paper, co-authored one with George Weissman fairly recently about quantum paradigm and the objectivity assumption and so forth. So. So, So coming from a science background, how did you kind of mix in spirituality from such a, you know, kind of more rock, not rock solid, but just kind of like materialistic point of view in in, in physics to more quantum physics and where that's going and how that's and how spirituality got mixed into all of that? <laughs> okay, that's a big question, but I guess <laughs> the short answer would be I've been a mystic all my life. It's uh, something called Born Aware. And there's mm-hmm. a book by Diane... Um, Brandon, she wrote a book called Born Aware, and I'm in a chapter called Whoops, Wrong Planet. So (laughs) it's like, for those of us who kind of remember what it was like before we were here, and I just remember the bliss out experience of being between lives. It was awesome. And I felt like I needed some downtime. But I, I want to say that because that really does lay the groundwork. Um, when when I've been witnessing energy, you know, seeing things that other people don't see, noticing what I call reality shifts, what people now call Mandela effects all my life. So being a lifelong experiencer that way, and then things got ramped up after a Kundalini awakening, um, all of that contributed to my 
bringing together science, spirituality, and, you know, these experiences of, um, you know, just being a mystic, basically. And I did, similar to Jude Curavan, she's a physicist mm-hmm. oh, yeah. in England. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. She, I was talking to her recently on my podcast, and she and I both, at a very young age, saw what we have come to realize was Indra's net. And it's basically all of consciousness shining like jewels in this web, this interconnected web of oneness. And I had that vision at a very young age that that's really what I'm here to be working with is this web of consciousness. I think we might call it the matrix sometimes, but Mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that two of us, I don't know anybody else who's had that childhood experience, but that stood out for me. At least two of us. (laughs) So when you went into science, were you already spiritually inclined? Yes, although it was in a backseat position until my Kundalini awakening around, Mm. you know, the early 1990s. And then that was a huge um, rocket blast into the the weirdness. I mean, there was no, (laughs) then there was no more ignoring that, um, that things are happening at levels that we don't usually talk about, let alone acknowledge or admit are real so you know things like having 360 degree vision around myself which is technically impossible if you're looking with your eyes and having access to events that were quite a distance away kind of like remote viewing instantly of things that I wasn't intending to see and lots of other things so it was just no more ignoring that so when you, I mean, you you obviously are very accomplished in academia, and you were able to get, you know, your master's, and 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 you went into different. You, I mean, I saw the, the list of credentials. It's it's fairly impressive. So when you decided to come out as this kind of like with like with uh, Jude, uh, as well, I mean, you're very well respected in the science community. But then you start talking quote unquote woo woo, uh, <laughs> and start talking about this kind of stuff but really explaining it with your education and understanding of physics and quantum physics, what was that like for you as a scientist? Because there's so many closeted quantum physicists who believe pretty much everything you might believe or more even, but won't come out because they're not brave enough. They don't want to lose tenure. They don't want to be, you know, ridiculed sometimes by the establishment. How did you proceed to do this? Well, it helped that I um, I did have a master's degree in business, and so I was working in the business field. I think that helped because then, uh, when I decided, well, I had the Kundalini awakening. I realized, sure. okay, I'll be I'll be t- going public with this, bringing it out in the open, starting a website, talking about reality shifts, writing about it, writing books, and so forth. That was sort of the kickoff. Like things are not normal after that Kundalini awakening in the early '90s. That took five years for me to integrate. Um, Because it was just, it was that difficult to go from having been indoctrinated, really, in our Western educational system, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. relies so heavily on objectivity, which does not really exist. That's that recent paper I just wrote with George Mm -hmm. Weissman. And it's an assumption, but it's kind of an incorrect one when we look at quantum physics. But people get so steeped in it, including physicists who are my friends, who um, they know. I've talked to quite a few of them. And you're right. Privately, many bizarre things have happened to several of them, but it's hard for them to contextualize their experience in light of what they've been indoctrinated to believe. So it's a heavy burden that um, all of the scientists tend to carry, and it's it's a tough one to break free from. So how did I do it? Well, I never lost the mystical side of myself. Um, I was recognizing even at UC Berkeley that the easiest way for me to answer a quantum physics 
question, for example, was just to write down the answer because that, that was obvious and then figure out, okay, I better show some work here. Sometimes you didn't have to show much work. I'm like, thank goodness. I think mm -hmm. like a quantum <laughs> being, which we all are. So I think it's interesting to, uh, to sort of see that people, when they've uh, been steeped in these assumptions of things like objectivity and that only what only the material world that we can measure is real. You know, these are huge assumptions and they're completely wrong. Now, we've mentioned Mandela effect a couple of times. Can you explain to the audience what the Mandela effect is? Okay, well, my definition of it would be that it's shared collective alternative memories. So they're alternative to what the official history is. They're not misremembering. I know that's what you'll see if you go to many websites and perhaps dictionaries even, but we need to reclaim this and recognize that to assume that we know what's happening and that, oh, we know it's misremembering, that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater when we're observing something that's probably the biggest technological tool of our time. You know, it's exactly showing up right when humanity needs something to get us through insoluble problems that may be global, may be universal, and we may think we're stuck. But to me, the Mandela effect is showing that things can change in just a split second, and they can change across huge scales and for large numbers of people. So just so we kind of bring down the Mandela effect down to uh, something that people can understand, because that's right now a very theoretical right. idea. So uh, I want everyone listening to tell me who was the person giving big checks away for Publisher Clearinghouse. Who was it in your world? And I'll tell you who I remember it was. Yeah, who do you, oh, give him a second, I guess. <laughs> I'd love to know who you remember. It's Ed McMahon. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah. It's always been Ed McMahon, but then if you go to the Publisher Clearinghouse website, they say Ed McMahon has never been a part of Publisher Clearinghouse. I'm like, are you? I remember seeing commercials with him with the big checks at people's door. Ed McMahon was always, and for, yeah. for the younger people, Ed McMahon was the co-host or the sidekick of Johnny Carson right. on The Tonight Show for right. 45 years or however many years Johnny was on. So he was just very well known for the Publisher Clearinghouse. But you go look it up now, it's not there. And I could start rattling off things that I, I like, is it Jif peanut butter or Jiffy peanut butter? It's Jiffy in my world. I remember Jiffy. <laughs> it's Jiffy, but now it's like, no, it's never been Jiffy. It's always been Jif. I'm like, that's the, the, no, it doesn't make right. sense. One of my favorites is a line from the 19... 89 or 90 movie field of dreams yes the very famous line that when kevin costner's in the corn like if you build it they will come and it if made you, sense it made sense if you build it <laughs> they will come because they came at the end yeah well watch the movie tonight and it will say <laughs> if you build it he will come that's some bs <laughs> I remember they, I was, <laughs> I was a young filmmaker growing. I remember that movie very, very clearly. So do you have any of these kind of like shifts in like, because, and, and I've had conversations with people. I've had other people on the show that I've just kind of mentioned 
Mandela oh, effect yeah. before. And I mentioned a few of those and you hear in the comments and McMahon, he absolutely was, or it was Jiffy. This is like, <laughs> so you start questioning this. If you just type in Google Mandela effect stuff and you'll just start seeing it and it's called Mandela effect. Why can you? Um... Yeah, that goes back to Nelson Mandela, who was one of the early people that, um, that was reported and recognized strangely to be alive again, even though a lot of people remembered that he had died. So Art Bell, I want to give him credit because he really was collecting these stories on the air for Coast to Coast. And then Fiona Broom, she gets the credit for popularizing the term that I really want to credit Art Bell with. Um, prior to that, in the 1990s, when I wrote my book, Reality Shifts, When Consciousness Changes the Physical World, I mentioned a different actor that was alive again. So it was the actor from Dallas and I Dream of Jeannie. Um, oh yeah what's his name yeah the Larry, guy, Larry yeah. Hagman yeah so we don't yeah so it would be the Hagman effect if that had caught on but that did not catch on <laughs> I'm, I'm just as glad that it didn't I think Nelson yeah. Mandela is perfect so yeah. we call it <laughs> we call it the Mandela effect because he was the first case of someone being alive again that was widely recognized as this is crazy we remember this guy passed away while incarcerated on Robbins Island we remember that there was a, some people remember the controversy in the news about his widow kind of um, going head to head with some of the state government people, the powers that be, to get some of his possessions and things back. There was just a little tussle politically and also mm -hmm. financial and economically and for the legacy of his, you know, his the value that he'd had to so many people. But now, of course, he did not die while in prison. He actually mm -hmm. went on to become the president of South Africa, mm -hmm. which is startling because um, it's just very different than what a lot of people do remember. So, so that's that's I call it the alive again subset of reality shifts. However, so, it's caught on as the main idea. I mean, that word Mandela effect that's talking about all of these changes. So do you have any that you remember? Yes, I remember Jane Goodall. She, in my recollection, I think she's alive right now. Thank goodness. She is. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yay. And I yeah. saw her not too long ago, a few years ago, but she, in my memory, she passed away, also murdered one month after Diane Fossey was murdered. Right. And to me, the, when Diane Fossey was murdered, I was shocked. I thought that's terrible. Why would that happen? And then when Jane Goodall was also murdered at, in a different location, and she, they, they studied different things, but both of them were primate researchers. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I just thought, no, that's unacceptable. That can't be happening. But it did happen. And it was in the news. And it was a terrible tragedy. And thank thank heavens, it's no longer true. But a lot of people remember, as I do, that Jane Goodall passed away, was murdered. See, it's very specific memory. And also, just like one, for me, it was like a month after, it, within a one-month window, right after Diane Fossey. Do you have any products that you remembered the name differently? Oh, gosh, lots of them, you know, for me. <laughs> I mean, Tell me. Yeah, well, the VW uh, logo totally looks different, you know, so that's not a product. Well, it's a car product. So mm -hmm. it seems like the the V, the W going together, it would be such a wonderful marketing tool the way, you know, it looks so beautiful. And But now it's got, you know, the difference with the little line between the V and the W is, is what makes it different. I remember Kit Kat had a hyphen. Yeah, know, of course it did. Cat. I know. Of, of course, Kit Kat had a hyphen. Yeah. And then the Fruit of the Loom definitely had a cornucopia. And that was on the underwear. Wait a minute. Product. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fruit of the Loom. Cornucopia. I know what a cornucopia. It, it, it does not have a cornucopia? It does not have a cornucopia. 
Yeah, if you look it up now, it does not. Of and course, it had a cornucopia. <laughs> I see it in my head right now. I see the logo. I see right. the little thing. It's. I mean, I grew up with Ford Fruit of the Loom when I was a kid. Of course. So you remember it? You remember looking at that logo? I think a lot rem- of us. Yeah, yeah, we were wondering what's what's this little basket? It sort of brings up the idea. Is yeah, I didn't know what a cornucopia was when I was a kid, yeah. but I remember after I learned what a cornucopia was, that little kind of horn-shaped basket. Yes. Part of the Fruit of the Loom logo. That's just not a – so I know we're driving everyone who's listening crazy right now because they're all remembering, of course it is. No, it isn't. But it's, there's this – but this is the kind of conversation, you know, we can go on. There's like – you go just type in Mandela Effect and there's websites dedicated to all these shifts in yes. our our collective memory about things from movies to song lyrics mm-hmm. to book titles to logos. Geography, it's, North America, yeah. South America, they're kind of sliding apart. They used to be one on top of the other, more or less. But now South America has been taking off for the east. <laughs> it's kind of like going going to the right. So, so, so let me ask you from a quantum physics point of view, what the hell is happening? What is causing this? Are these reality shifts? They, I, I'd say they are. To me, it's a synonymous term. So I feel like I've been studying this phenomenon since the 1990s. And uh, so my research goes a bit farther back than the official terminology of Mandela effect, but it's really the same thing. It's looking at the way it was always groups of people remembering things differently, noticing it. And that's why I've been tracking and studying it um, through my website to collect firsthand uh, natural observations and firsthand reports. Because I wanted to... I wanted to expand the body of research, just like a naturalist in biology would sit down and really observe the plants or animals they're looking at and learning about. That's what I wanted to do with the reality shifts and Mandela effect. So it's a little preliminary, probably, to say exactly what's going on. With my training and my background, of course, I'm perhaps biased to start looking at quantum physics and say, Mm -hmm. okay, I just can't help but notice that the same things we would expect to see in quantum physics are what we're observing with the Mandela effect, that that we have like a one-to-one correspondence with some of these things, including things like a superposition of states where, and that would be a flip-flop Mandela effect, where I, for example, saw the company name Cost, yeah, see, see, it's weird now, Costco changed for a brief time. I saw it change to Costco, C-O-S-C-O. It's a warehouse chain of stores. Yeah. Oh, I'm okay. very familiar. I just went the other day. Costco <laughs> okay. is one of my favorite places, of course. Yeah, yeah. So it went from Costco, and then it was went to Costco. I thought, oh, no, what are they doing? Because I didn't think Mandela Effect. I was kind of busy and didn't do a real close scrutiny of it. I just thought, that's so annoying. Why would they change their name now? Why shorten it like that? That's kind of ugly. And then within a few weeks, it was back to, for me to Costco. Wait, so what is it right what is it what is it now i think it's back to costco <laughs> is it co- is it costco it went for me it briefly had a little a little foray into c-o-s-c-o which looked just no. wrong <laughs> no yeah exactly no i i remember costco i i right. say costco i mean that's how i i'm like hey we're going to costco yeah but i never say costco okay, it's so never maybe- it's never been costco <laughs> for me it's always been costco Really? At least to my recollection. So you remember yeah. the COSCO? Very. Wow. I mean, so it's right now there's a T in it? I think it's, a, you can check it, but I think it's a T. Hold on, now. I'm going to pull out my <laughs> card right now. I know. Right? Let's, let's hold on. Let me see here. It's right there in the Son wall. of a, you got to be kidding me. No. 
This is freaking me out, guys. And no, this is very freaky. Okay, so <laughs> I mean, we could just talk for an hour on just things that we both remember, and yes. it's entertaining as hell because it's just like all these things. So, all right, so we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You talked a little bit about the quantum physics point of view of superposition, things like that. Yeah. If we're shifting realities, then now we have to have the conversation about, well, then there's multiple realities. And if there's multiple realities, that means there's parallel universes that go on infinitely because Costco, my perspective of Costco, there's a universe where there's a Costco or a Costco without the, without the T. But there's another universe where it is, or Jiffy is in one universe and Jiff is in the other one. Kit Kat with the hyphen, non-hyphen, so on and so forth. But then it can just continue to go, just ripple out infinitely, multiple right. realities. Mm-hmm. So how is that? Is that am I am I saying that all correctly? Yeah, that's that's a great um, way to summarize this one possible interpretation of quantum physics. There are many interpretations of quantum physics. We do not yet have one that everyone agrees like this is the one. Instead, we've got a variety of them, everything from the Copenhagen interpretation, which is a collapse of the wave function. So an observer makes that um, that moment of like, okay, the wave function's collapsed, and now we have a definitive state that we can observe. Um, and there's also, like you mentioned, the idea of the multiverse. And, and if you look at the quantum world with the multiverse and then the macroscopic astronomical scale, and how do you bring these things together? Um, as I mentioned in my book, Quantum Jumps, the many worlds of the multiverse might be one and the same as, you know, the many worlds of quantum physics. So, when you, okay, what does that mean? It means if that's happening, which it might be, we don't know for sure. And there are also many, many, many um, possible um, multiverse scenarios. So, just because we're going with the multiverse doesn't even mean we've locked it in to one particular variation. There are several. and. So it's it's just, it, I, I guess what I'm saying is we don't know for sure, but it's wonderful to start looking at what are we learning mm-hmm. in the science of quantum physics that's starting to show us, for me, interesting findings, such as there might not be such a thing as objective reality. And if we start looking at what we're noticing from experiments, like the one conducted in 2019, published in 2019, featuring the work of scientists at, in Edinburgh, Scotland, and also in uh, Vienna, Austria, what they noticed is they had two observational devices at the same place, same time, absolutely observing two different things. Now that's what we're noticing with the Mandela effect because it's not like everybody agrees. Instead, we've got some people that remember, for example, you know, if you build it, they will come. And some people say, no, it's what's only ever been, if you build it, he will come. You know, so <laughs> I'm sorry, just to sense a chill back my spine because I know you're wrong. It is they, it will always be they. <laughs> right. Oh, I know. Please, everybody, leave comments, please, in the in the in the comments of the video, please leave, let everybody know it's they. <laughs> and I'd love to know what people's biggest Mandela effect is. If they've got something that just bothers them, be sure to put that in the comments because I J- want to see J- that. Jiffy and Jiff are pretty big, and I don't even eat either of them. <laughs> Right. I don't know. But but I grew up with Jiffy. I just the name Jiffy. When I see Jiff, I'm like, what is that? And there's there's so many products that have these kind of shifting 
the fruit of the loon, cornucopia, these kind of ideas. And you and again, just go look on the websites. There's just so many options. Like you could just start seeing it. But let me ask you then, if we're shifting realities, you said something really interesting was like, for a moment, it was Costco and then went back to Costco. Yes. That means that we're jumping in mm-hmm. and out of reality. So there's like, and I'm going to explain it the way I can in my non-quantum physics way. Uh, I'm a visual storyteller. So two lanes of highway are walking. There's two going down. The car is jumping from lane to lane. Jiffy's over here. Jiff is over here. Costco's over here. Costco is over here. And you kind of, always jumping back and forth between different realities based on your own perspective or conscience or the group consciousness of humanity. (laughs) This is, yeah, I want to go back. That's a great question. And so I'm looking at experimental physics to see what are we learning? And that experiment that I mentioned with the two observational devices, same place, same time, what Mm -hmm. they're really doing is uh, an experimental version of the Wigner's friend experiment. Now, um, Mm -hmm. What there, it started with, look, Schrodinger and his cat, if you've heard of Schrodinger's yeah. cat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so for people that don't know that one, you can look it up. But it's basically, there's a cat, a hypothetical cat. No cats were actually injured in this experiment. <laughs> put inside of a, a box or a container. And with the cat is a vial of poison hooked up to a radioactive um, sort of random number generator device. So randomly, we don't know when. There will be a little hammer that breaks open the vial of poison when the radioactive isotope decays at some random moment. Who knows when it'll happen? We don't know. So it's totally a random device. So, and what? And the cat is sealed inside the box. So until we open the box, we don't know if the cat is alive or dead. And so Schrodinger designed this experiment on purpose to make it ridiculous to say, how does this make sense that there's a cat that's both alive and dead inside the box? So that was his original intent with the experiment. From from, from perspective, from consciousness. Yeah, because it's the ridiculousness of quantum physics. We're saying in quantum physics, there's a superposition of states. And until we look, we don't know if the quantum particle is spin up or if it's spin down. We have no idea until we open the, you know, until we look. For 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 the cat experiment, you open the box and then you see it. And then if the collapse of the wave function interpretation is correct, then you've collapsed the wave function and... Boom, now you know the truth. Okay, now the Wigner's friend brings in another level of consciousness, a second observer. So now you've got um, Schrodinger with his box and Urban um, Wigner with his observation of Schrodinger with the cat. And because you've entangled an observer of the observer, it, that's where things get really interesting. And that was exactly the experiment that they conducted and published the results of in 2019. Why it matters is levels of observation in other words groups of people observing something like costco costco or field of dreams or any you know the cornucopia whatever whatever we're observing the um it does make a difference the levels of conscious observation that you've got going on and there's a physicist named eric cavalcanti who writes about these wigner bubbles and some people some people are calling it truth bubbles reality bubbles but within this little bubble, you'll have people that are sharing that that same observation, like you and I are sharing the one with, with Field of Dreams. And you know, we might have several others in common, but then we might have some that are kind of different. For me, Costco was just a brief little blip, but you seem to remember it was always Costco, and now it's yeah, Costco. I mean, I, 
I call it Costco. I mean, I've always called it. I mean, that's just the way I'm like, hey, we're going to Costco. And it's just never the T makes no sense to me. I look at it now and I'm like, what? Well, yeah. (laughs) But normally you would say Costco. Like that would be the proper pronunciation. But most people I know, when we say Costco, we say Costco. Right. With the S, there's no emphasis on the T. The T is silent if there's ever. So I've never heard one person ever call it Costco. Like that's not a thing. I've never heard anyone say Costco. It's always Costco. So even when I hear about it, like on a financial channel, like, oh, Costco, it's never Costco. Like I've never heard anyone say that, though the logo might be different. So this is a weird, another weird kind of reality shift. So, so again, to go back to what I was saying, our perspective, the, the observer affects reality, which we're yes. going to get into that in a second, a little deeper into, the, into that rabbit hole. Um, so as an as a observer, that changes the reality. That the, that's the two-split uh, experiment or something along those the lines, d- correct? Double-slit experiment. Double, double-slit experiment. Thank you. So the double-slit experiment kind of show, showed that observer and how the particles move differently. And then there's this group observer, which is what we're talking about now with these just massive shifts. But are there things that happen in our daily life that shift more as a per, like a personal shifting of a quantum, a quantum jump, a personal quantum jump, if that makes any sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. And I'd say the answer is yes, an emphatic yes, because clearly, to me, synchronicity is another form of a reality shift. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's very obviously so. And it's clear that what, what's happening with the synchronicity, which hopefully most of us have experienced, is that you're thinking of something and then it seems like there it is. It's like what, and people might say they're psychic or so forth, lots of different yeah. interpretations. But um, when I talk to people like Dr. Bernard Beitman, and I had him on my podcast, Living the Quantum Dream, talking about how he's found people who uh, are more likely to experience synchronicity. It is the people that I've also done surveys and studied with reality shifts. It's the same exact group of people, the ones that are more likely to um, be aware of their thoughts and feelings. They're, In other words, they are self-reflective. They are doing this observation of your thoughts and feelings. And as soon as you're doing that, you are putting yourself in kind of a level of observers, like you're stacking that up within yourself. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. There was an early scientist and philosopher that talked about this, and he was one of the inventors of calculus, Leibniz, um, L. E-I-B-N-I-Z. Mm-hmm. And what he what he was saying is that the first order perception of like a butterfly landing on my finger would then be um, perceived by a second order perception of me noticing that's a butterfly. It's on my hand. So instead of just like, ah, what happened? And not knowing what's going on, there's a second order of perception. And with calculus, we're also looking at these levels of perception. So this okay. is where this is where I love to go with it. <laughs> It starts. It starts. To, starts making the head hurt a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. with that. So, so when you're saying synchronicity, just for people to kind of bring it back bound down to earth, how many times have you thought of somebody and then the phone rings, and it's lots, them. yeah, like like it's in, like within five seconds oh, yeah. before the phone call comes in. Hey, where's John? There's John on the phone. Like that's 
Yeah. It's funky. It's happened to most of us, I think, at one point or another in our lives. Uh, it happens to me all the time. I and and a lot of times I will, and this is an interesting thing. I do that with my wife a tremendous amount, where we both will be we're both perceiving the same thing at the same time. I have a thought about a, a, a scene in a movie or a TV show, and she'll say that same thing out loud. It happens weekly, like constantly. And is that is that because we're connected at a certain level differently? You know, it's kind of like when like when you're first in love, oh, they finish each other's sentences. It's like, and like, that'll never work. But, uh, but something <laughs> along those lines. Absolutely. Yes. You can be sharing that same Vigner bubble, reality bubble, truth bubble, whatever you want to call it. So you're entangled with one another. That's a physics, quantum physics term. That entanglement means that you're going to feel what she's feeling. There may be a lot of empathy that occurs. It might happen across space and time. You might mm -hmm. you might get this instant feeling of whatever the other one is experiencing. I've had that happen with my daughters. I, I once went in the garage to get something and it was barefoot. I thought I'll just go in and I'll just get it really quickly, some tool off the wall. And I, I stepped on, I didn't look where I was stepping and I stepped on something squishy and soft. And I was like, eh. <laughs> it's a dead rat. I'm like, oh, no. oh but but oh. I couldn't respond to it because the second I stepped on the squishy thing, my young daughter inside the house screamed an ear, you know, piercing, blood curdling scream. So of course, being a mom, I'm just I was like, who cares about the rat? And so I'm running back in the house. What's wrong? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> and then I realized she screamed for me. I'm stepping on something and she's feeling it. So, okay. All right. So now this is yeah. where it's going to get interesting. If each of us are having endless amounts of shifting in between quote unquote realities, and then there's a con a group conscious of shifting in reality. So there's a, like a higher level of that. Yes. Then this is truly infinite yes. in amounts of, of uh, realities that there could be. Yes. And you're so it was really interesting because I spoke to a, a very famous channel uh, a while ago on the show, Daryl Anka, and oh, Daryl yes. was Daryl was talking about quantum shifting, and in the way that Bashar his his channel talks about it is that at any moment our reality is shifting between places. And when I spoke to him, I really didn't grasp what he was saying mm -hmm. at the level that I do now, based on all these other conversations I've had about this stuff, but. It makes he's talking about that a, a couple decades ago, where people were like, "What? Are you, what is it, yeah. it's? It's hard to wrap your head about this kind of shifting in reality." So then, my question to you is, what implications that all of this reality shifting, quantum jumping, and Mandela effect have to do with our spiritual evolution? Well, here again, it's huge because the, um, and I've been also studying this for like 25 years now since the 1990s. So I, I can relate to Bashar, you know, and Daryl Inka being out there, like waving that flag, the lonely <laughs> one who's out there way before, where's every, now we're all showing up, everybody's here. Yeah, but the implications for spirituality to me are huge because uh, it's quite clear that we have a responsibility to take things seriously when we start noticing that what we're looking for and what we're expecting and the questions we're even asking are mm -hmm. what if they are bringing about what we're observing? If that's the case, then suddenly there's a responsibility on each of us that's a little greater than we might cavalierly assume. We might think, 
like I'm just I'm just playing around with thoughts in my head. I'm not really doing anything dangerous, but it really helps to be on a spiritual path. I know for myself, I I'm on a short leash because it's too easy for me to think something that's start going down the wrong path. And after having gone through Kundalini, um, I would just blow out all the appliances in a room if I walked in in a bad mood. Seriously, I mean, mm. I once walked into the kitchen ungrounded myself, feeling kind of agitated and ungrounded, and I saw the light in the ceiling go sort of what sparkle frazzle, and then suddenly the dishwasher had been running and it stopped and just like every, and that room is full of appliances. And I thought, Oh boy, this is bad. <laughs> Quick, you know, get how, grounded. So how do you quantify that with your more materialistic or materialism based education? Where if you said that in one of your classes, you would have failed. <laughs> like, yeah. You would have said, explain it like how do so how do you explain something like that in from a quantum physics standpoint or in a court of law i I was called (laughs) i was was called for jury duty and i was i thought no problem i'll be off jury duty i'll just say what i really believe and i did i so i basically said yes i do believe in following the rules of the court or material science whatever you want to call it i do have a training in physics of course but because of my understanding of quantum physics and my mystical experiences and my spiritual beliefs, therefore, I'm aware that miracles happen and that things absolutely can and do change. And what we think is only happening in the so-called quantum realm occurs at every level, including daily life. And that means that we can't say for certain that things are black and white, true or false. Instead, we must embrace quantum logic, which enfolds all of nature and it's much more comprehensive, and it includes true and false, and not true, not false. I said all this. They, they, they weirdly, both of the attorneys looked thrilled, and they chose me for jury duty. The jury hey, thought the... I should. I oh. know, right? Oh, I would have killed. I kicked you off. And then they made me foreman of the jury, and it was like this. I know, and it was kind of a scary trial. But anyway, wow, like, wow! I would have thought in a million years. I know, right? That would have gotten you out of That's... jury duty. Well, the, it did. It did draw the attention of the judge. He leaned forward and he said, "But you will abide by the rules of this court." And I said, "Of course," but I'm still thinking you heard what I said, right? And they just look all relaxed, like, "Okay, good." I'm like, "You have no idea what you're saying," <laughs> but okay. <laughs> that is so. All of these these shifts in reality that we're going through. That that is. I have to ask you this because it's a shift in consciousness, a shift in perspective. Correct. We're talking about it from a human standpoint. Is there such a thing as quantum shifting for lower consciousness, animals, plants, other other elements in on earth that are have energy to them as well? Is that are they shifting as well? I would say it only makes sense to expect that they are. And I look to philosophy for that. There's a great philosopher. I think he's, I hope he's still alive, Nicholas Rescher. He wrote a book called Axiogenesis, and he follows the work of Leibniz, who I adore. So I'm looking at these process philosophers, because to understand science, you need to start with philosophy. So I go to philosophy to find my footing. And when he, when he starts with that, then he's recognizing that there is consciousness inherent in all of creation in this material mm-hmm. realm. But the consciousness clearly was first. He explains it much more clearly than I'm doing right now. I'm doing my best. But clearly to me, that indicates that there are these levels of conscious agency. Again, I'm referring to Leibniz and his brilliant work. So if you recognize what he, what Leibniz called 
levels of perception that I'm calling levels of conscious agency, mm-hmm. then clearly every level of conscious agency has a role to play. Maybe it's a small one. Maybe they're not, you know, a rock clearly is not the same as a human being. And there are probably higher levels of conscious agency above humans. You know, we might think of that as angelic realms. Um, maybe the level that Bashar is working with, you know, that sort of thing. So when you recognize there's a lot going on here, naturally, everybody has a part to play. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So uh, you just triggered something in my head because when you're saying different levels of consciousness, the first thing that popped into my head are ascended masters and yogis. Yes. And and then I was like, well, well, that's the high level of where you can reach here in this 3D world. But there are multiple levels, variations going down from someone who's learned how to just manifest the life that they want based on their own belief system and, and understanding of you know, manifestation to somebody who the whole world's against me and is manifesting that in their life, but unbeknownst to them, their perspective is this small. So they while can't even see it. They yeah. can't even see it. But as you start to widen that perspective and awareness, more control over the reality in your world happens as in Jesus walking on water, bread into a fish and fish out of bread and yes. wine and water. Is that a fair explanation? You're spot on. I would say yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's what we're looking at. We're looking at what if the stories in the Bible are all true? The miracles, I think they are. I would mm-hmm. say makes sense to me, uh, including Jesus being the first Mandela effect, the first alive again, perhaps the famous one rolling back the stone and there he is alive again. So that's a wonderful example. But um, I think that the the yogi masters, obviously, mm-hmm. they understand that they had cities, special powers, and that some of them could do certain things. They often would recommend that people not get fixated on the cities and the special powers like magic tricks, mm-hmm. but instead be aware of the importance of being on the spiritual path. And that's correct, because the ideal is to recognize that each of us has great capacity, but we don't want to abuse any particular level of conscious agency along the way. Right, exactly. Because if, I mean, to do levitation or to be biolocation, these are ideas that have been talked about with yogi powers for a long time. But if your whole goal is to levitate, you could spend 30 years to learn how to levitate and evolve to that level. Um, I, I, I've said this before, so everyone who's listened to the story, please bear with me. But it's a great yogi kind of like uh, myth or story where there's two yogis on one side of a, of a, of a river and there's a bridge uh, and there's one yogi goes, hey, watch mm-hmm. this. And he levitates across the river and the other yogi just goes to the bridge and crosses over. And he's like, what did you think? He goes, it's very impressive, but you spent 30 years to learn how to do that. I use the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a it's a it's a it's a kind of moral of like don't focus on the wrong thing. Even the, don't yes. ro- don't focus on the levitation. Focus on the spiritual path. And with those things that come are byproducts of the spiritual path. Right. See them, use them, be aware of them. But it is not the focus. It should not because then it's a trap. It's an egoic trap along Absolutely. the way. Right. Um, Egoic meaning self-limiting, getting stuck in that level of conscious agency that's not our highest potential. We have at all. 
much farther that we can go. No, and and that's what these these masters kind of prove is that they're examples of what can be yes. for all of us. I mean, yes, we all strive all we all strive to be a, a Jesus or a Buddha or a Yogananda or, or all these mm-hmm. you know these these uh, spiritual ascended masters because it just is a pro- it's a proving ground of what can happen. It's just the four it's the four minute mile. Once the four minute mile was broken, then everybody broke the four minute mile. But before then, nobody broke it because no one believed it could be broken. This goes back to what we were saying toward the beginning with the scientists tending to get stuck in that belief trap where they tend to think that these things are impossible, even though they know it could be possible from what they've just witnessed with quantum physics. But then as soon as they're looking into regular daily life, their mind is blown and it's hard to process, hard to come out um, out of the closet even and say like, okay, this looks like it's possible. Uh, So I think we've been doing ourselves a disservice with the way we've been teaching Western science. And I think Mm -hmm. that's about to change thanks to quantum computing, artificial intelligence. I think it's going to be pretty obvious pretty soon that (laughs) we're going to need to be on an even par with the AI systems. Well, there's no question because (laughs) I mean, I mean, I was, I work with AI every day and I'm just sitting there like, Wow, man, this is this is wild, man. It's starting to get crazy. Really quickly on a side note, quantum computing, it's it kind of goes along with what we're talking about. And please correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding of quantum computing, it's not a faster system per se than what we have now, quote unquote, because we could supercharge a, a regular computer to a place where it could one plus one equals two much faster then a quantum computer can do it. But a quantum computer can have two thoughts, if you will, at the same time, where the other one is very based in space and time. Like a, it, you're, it's like, a, in other words, it's it's the old question of, now I'm going to geek out for everybody who's a comic book fan. Uh, there's the Flash, who is mm-hmm. the fastest man in the world. And then there's a, a character, an X-Men called Nightcrawler, who can start one place, Think of where he wants to be and just appear the other place. Quantum computer is Nightcrawler because it can go, it could be at two places at the same time where our normal computer system is just, you could just rev it as fast as you can, but it's still space and time. Is that a fair explanation? That's that's great. And it can be both too. You can actually, with a quantum computer, have that superposition of states and actually be observed in two places, like what we just saw in that experiment conduct published in 2019. But it's a great a great analogy, and I love it. And uh, I think it's important for people to know that's the way our brains work. We are quantum cog- yeah. cognition beings, and that means that if we think of things, we're using quantum processes to do so. Uh, I, I interviewed um, the author of a book about quantum c- cognition and decision making on mm-hmm. again on my podcast, and he he has a brilliant book about this. I think it's called Quantum cognition and decision so for people that want to really get geeked out and go into the science um, it's a fabulous book because it shows that if you give people a survey and you've ordered the questions in a certain way so that the a b c d options are in different orders that completely changes the way people answer them and it used to be Mm -hmm. thought that humans are illogical like, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, if you, why would you say you're going to vote for this person just when the order is switched around? But it makes sense if you're thinking like a quantum being that relates in groups and that it, we start thinking in terms of the associations, the connections, and we're thinking in terms of like, like a family or like a group, a collective. So our thought process changes as we go down that list. And that's now, very much a part of what we do and who we are. So, 
So then I'm going to, now we're going to go into another deep world uh, in a second. <laughs> so I've had a lot of near death experiencers on the show. Yes. It's a tremendous amount of near death experiencers. And I've heard, I've seen in my studies speaking to them, uh, a lot of common denominators in between many of these experiences. But one idea that is then reinforced by yogis, by spiritual masters, by uh, channelers is that there is no past life and there, there is no future life because that is a A to B space and time idea, but all lives are happening at the same time, which then really falls into what we've been discussing of these multiple realities and quantum shifting, because according to some spiritual experience, um, experience, um, spiritual masters I've spoken to is that if you create, uh, let's say you had a problem life after life with standing up for yourself and you've been beaten up since the Roman days <laughs> and you just keep getting beat up and you keep all this stuff. And then finally in this life, you're like, that's enough. I'm standing up for myself. When you do it here, it ripples back, quote unquote, back in all the past lives. And it ripples towards the future lives. This is your head is going to hurt everybody listening. You're watching it. Is this, how can you, what do you think of what I'm saying? What are your thoughts on this idea? I love it. Yeah. The, um, going back to, I, I think it's spot on because my most recent past life is a possible future life, some 500 years in a dystopian future, which was controlled by a central artificial general intelligence and humans were no longer free to make choices and it was like a nightmare so um, i felt like i needed a long time between lives before coming into this one i felt like i got booted out of the in-between place into this life too soon mm -hmm. and then it's like oh what a mess so i can totally totally agree with that and obviously we do have connections to everything simultaneously it's um it's all accessible i know it's mind-bending but what we're doing right here right now in each moment can absolutely change everything. And this is not just the purview and the, the gift of the yogis and Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. It's also meant for all of us to start right. to experience that in our daily lives. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, and in the concept of the internet is the first time where you have, a, we're instantly connected across, you and I right now are instantly connected. We are two places at the same time based on our perspectives, yeah. you know, and that's through this technology, which didn't exist 30 years ago, really 30, 40 years ago in the way that we know it now. I know it's been around since the fifties or sixties, but the way we understand it now, this technology really didn't exist. So the internet of being connected to everybody all the time, instantly, at any moment you could have, you can watch an episode of Friends, no matter where you are in the world, as long as you're connected into the quantum mesh or quantum field, <laughs> which is the internet, you have instant access. And then that opens up the idea to the Akashic Records, which has been talked about in the Vedic texts for 6,000 plus years. The Vedic, the, the Akashic Records sound very similar to the internet at a much supercharged rate of being able to access anything at any time. So we're slowly creating examples in our material, in our 3D world of things that we have just inherently forgotten about our spiritual, in our spiritual side. Is that 
cool. What do you think? I think that's a great observation. Yeah. And then sometimes we, we try to collapse um, this great grand world of the spiritual into something physical because <laughs> we, we want to simplify it, make sense of it. So currently looking at reality um, like it's a computer program or a computer game, that seems right. to be our cutting edge way to see it rather than uh, things, ideas of the past would be like a flip book because before movies, there were books <laughs> and then we had movies now we've got computers and games. So these are, but they're still just models. And they're still um, just like you said, this is, we're creating something. It's always going to be lesser than the great reality, the great truth. But it is wonderful for us to play with it and start to get a taste of it so that all of us can experience it. Even people who say, I'm not spiritual at all. Don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> right. You know, even, even so that way it's, it's something that everyone gets a feel for a little bit. Right. Even if you're an atheist, you use the internet and you then there's the concept of all being connected because yes. we are all connected now. The world is connected in a way that I don't think has happened in the past, even with lost civilizations and things like that. And all these other, that's a whole other conversation where we're not going to get into this one. But I don't think that we've reached this level. And from what I understand from talking to different spiritual masters and my own research and studies is that where we are right now has never been a place that humanity has gotten to maybe we might have been more advanced in other areas but consciousness has not reached this level is that what your assumption is as well yeah i'm feeling that i i would hope for better but it is what it is um, i think we're doing pretty well <laughs> yeah i think we are i'm just being honest because <laughs> i'm looking at these twelve thousand year cycles and thinking gosh we're right on one right now but it's it's okay because that's what I meant when I said the Mandela effect is showing up, giving us this possibility to work together collectively. If, for example, the kidneys are no longer where they used to be, they've, I don't know if you're aware of that Mandela effect. Like if you, no. where do you think the kidneys are? If you put your to hands my, on the I mean, if my kidneys, to my understanding, is back here because of the kidney punch. It's like, I exactly, remember that. Exactly. Right? I remember, I remember the kidney punch in boxing. It's like you, you you can't do a kidney punch because it's it it just cripples a guy if right. you get punched back there. So my understanding is the kidney is right here, back yeah. here. Yeah, it's kind of like the place you'd put your hands if you're resting, you're going up a steep hill. Right. You just need to yeah, stop yeah. for a minute, cover your kidneys, right? Right. Well, guess what? Um, I guess you know where I'm going. They're not there anymore. <laughs> no, the, the the kidney's not here. Where is it then? And they've moved slightly up under the relative protection of the rib cage. To such a degree that they're no longer surgically accessed where they used to be. And it just blows people's minds for this one. <laughs> because like because you said, the, the kidney, kidney punch. punch. Yeah. There's a thing called the kidney punch. You can't. I know. You can't. The kidney punch is not in the rib cage because the rib cage is protected. It's, so it's, you, and they've it's, scooched up. They've gone upwards and they're relatively better protected. It, and now we've got this silly thing about the kidney punch. But like, what do they mean? Like we know what that means, but it doesn't have the effect it used to have. That's really strange. You're just That's blowing a... my mind, Cynthia. You're <laughs> like, are you kidding me? The kidneys in our bodies have moved. But then anything, everything's fair game. If Jiffy is fair game, then the kidneys are fair game. Is right? our recollection of where it is because it's and, and again, you know, you and I, I'm, I'm not a medical doctor. You're generally not a medical doctor, but you no. probably, but so we don't know enough about anatomy. But we all remember, at least many of us, the kidney punch. Right. Like if you're, a, especially if you're a guy and you watch boxing, right. you remember the kidney punch. So you're telling me now that if someone gets hit in the kidney, you yeah. can't, in that area, it doesn't have the same effect anymore. No, it doesn't. And also the heart has moved toward the center of the chest. Like I remember the Pledge of Allegiance. My teachers. It's over. Taking, yeah. 
Yeah, right. And yeah, this, exactly. is the, this is where the heart is. Isn't this yeah, where the heart could, is? Right. It used to be. Now it's here. It's in the center. <laughs> so, and it used to I, be, I remember getting blood pressure and they'd make sure like do it on the correct arm because you know, your heart's on one side, not in the center. Now it doesn't matter. <laughs> what is going on? Cynthia, you're blowing my mind. Stop it. Um, all right. So since we have, since this conversation has been very lax, not very deep at all, hasn't made our head hurts at all. Let's talk about simulation theory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, an easy, let's a softball kind of throw. Uh, I've had many, uh, physicists on about simulation theory. It is a fascinating thing. It's been, it's an idea that really came into vogue in 1999 when the matrix was released. It was the Mm -hmm. first time in a collective that we all stopped and said, wait a minute, is this real? And I I don't really think, I mean, I'm sure those thoughts have been around and since the days of Plato and, and, and Socrates, but not in the way it was once the matrix was released in this grand idea that basically everybody started to think about it differently now or like are we a computer generated reality and then how does simulation theory which is a theory it's a a very serious theory in quantum physics mix in with parallel universe parallel realities quantum jumping multiverse and then let's toss in spirituality on top of that (laughs) <clears throat> oh my goodness. So, what you, so and go, Cynthia. <laughs> okay. Well, I think the, the, the fastest way to re- reference this would be starting where we already were just a moment ago with the yogis and the masters mm-hmm. and the fact mm-hmm. that they can do these amazing things. How do they do it? Because they know that the world is a simulation. They would call it Maya or illusion. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, as long as you know that, then you don't get caught up in the game. You don't let your emotions get you know pulled one way or the other. You hold everything in this beautiful state of detachment and you're focused constantly on accessing divine source, going into stillness and silence and being the one with the all, that kind of thing. So you've experienced these amazing states of being in mind. When you know that, then you know that, of course, it's all a simulation. Uh, But how do you bring this together with the ideas that you mentioned of the multiverse? And also, um, you know, here you could bring in game theory if you want so one of the best current books I've seen on the subject is by Rizwan Virk, V-I-R-K. He's a MIT game designer, and now he writes books about spirituality and things like this. And I, I, I read his book not expecting much, because usually when I read a book about simulation theory, it's, eh, you know, so sketchy. Uh, but because he's a game designer, and I've had a background also in computer programming and information technology, I love the way he lays out this very clear vision which i share with him uh, that we have these different paths it's just like what you said like we've got these two maybe timelines if you will you've got timelines of possibility and they're both present and open to you how do you choose well if you are that quantum being then uh, his book doesn't get into the levels of conscious agency that's i'm going to where i love to go again but if you come in with the levels of conscious agency and realize that that higher level you already see the answer you know which which path is going to be the successful one, the satisfying one, the one that aligns with what's true for your mind, your heart, and what you need in your subconscious. When you've got that lined up, it's going to be a very clear choice. And the physics of it has to do with a combination of recognizing that there are these parallel timelines. They sort of exist. You might wonder who's doing the jumping, who's doing the quantum jump there. That would be pure consciousness. So that's us as a quantum being 
absolutely recognizing our physical body is illusion. It's it's like an avatar body. It's like we're in a game simulation and we can move ourselves around. And that's what we can do when we have a spontaneous remission of disease in our body or when 8 billion people on the planet have their hearts moved to the center of their chest, their kidneys move up to safety. What have we just done collectively? We've had an instant evolutionary jump. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I'm still, I'm still wheeling, just going crazy with the kidney thing. It still just drives, it's driving me a little nutty inside. But (laughs) so the game theory, I I love that idea. Um, And people get upset about it. We'll talk about that in a second, but because of what you said, this consciousness leveling of, Mm -hmm. of going up, I'm going to throw a theory out to you and an explanation about this. So we are, um, (laughs) uh, Zelda and where's Link in the game Legend of Zelda. Okay, so we're Link and we we are the players. The player is the soul, the higher self. And we are playing the player in in this simulation in this game. Yes. Now Link only knows that he is Link. He has forgotten that he is connected to me as the higher self. He is just all concerned about what's around the next corner. How am I going to save Zelda? What's going to happen? But then Link starts to meditate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Link goes into a room, starts to meditate a little bit and starts to ask deep questions. He's like, wait a minute. Why, why am I walking around this, this, this castle? Let me, let me sit here for a second. And he starts to meditate and things start to, he starts to detach from the game system a little bit. And And he only does it when he's meditating. He can't do it when he's awake yet. He's only doing it when his so when he goes to meditate, he starts to his awareness starts to change. So then he starts to feel the monster around the corner. So he either prepares for battle or avoids the corner altogether. Mm-hmm. And at the more and more that he meditates, the more and more he starts to open his awareness up of the game system in general, to the point where then he realizes he is in the game system because he is now raising up in levels of consciousness and awareness to the point where he's now getting close to where i am the higher self player to yes. the point where uh, to to the point where he then eventually gets up so high that he turns looks at me and goes mm-hmm. yes you are here now. and then he understands everything connects yes. to the to the intelligence of the universe everything comes in and then he's like oh i get all of this now okay i'll go back down and play but i i'm playing by different rules because everybody else has no understanding about this let me either show them the way or let me just play the game differently. But at any moment I can jump back and forth because I've now made that journey spiritually or aware or consciously uh, throughout my awareness. What do you think? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think a lot of people, it may be hard for them to realize that they're like little link there, but if they can make that jump and say, but doesn't that feel like life to you? Like it's all, it goes from random. And then when you start meditating, Suddenly you do know things that there's no way you could know. And suddenly your intuition becomes incredibly good. And, you know, and maybe you start developing that connection of sense of higher self and higher conscious agency. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all possible for us. I love it. I think that's great. Yeah. So, and then also like, I mean, and if we go back into the Zelda world, uh, then you meeting people along the way and you don't know if they're thieves, you don't know if they're there to help you, but as your awareness opens up, 
you could start seeing it coming from a mile away where when you weren't as open, you just took it for face value. So you're again, that aware, and that happens in life. I use that in life all the time because now, like you say, you can meet somebody and you might have a feeling or an instinct about that person much better than you did 10 or 15 years ago where you would have been taken by that person uh, right. or hurt by that person. Or right. you were like, oh no, I, 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 that's bad news. I have a bad, bad juju, bad juju, bad juju. <laughs> I'm going to stay away from that. That's a very technical term, juju. Uh, <laughs> so is that, is that, is that kind of go along with this kind of explanation that I've created in the video game system? It does. It does. And I love that connection with the levels of conscious agency. I think that really is key for people to understand. And I love the way that you're bringing in meditation as something that we can do. It's like a technology or a tip or a tool to help to get us there. That's so true. And like you said, you've interviewed many near-death experiencers. They're getting a benefit of having that kind of instant um, sort of a epiphany moment where it's suddenly, you know, they, that's an extraordinary experience, but it's this huge um, awakening of a much greater level all at once. But then once that's open, it's very similar to someone who's just meditating, meditating, meditating. And I love the way that you described it in that first example with Link, like maybe at first it wasn't that much and it only happened when he was meditating. That's a good description. <laughs> but then eventually, I know. But then if you keep at it, if, if he keeps at it, then eventually he, he can't lose it. And suddenly he's got the gift that came from that great higher level that he can't forget. And that's when the true gift has been realized so much greater than any magic trick of you know, by location or invisibility well, or levitation. Right, exactly. And and it's also the the ideas of the um it's kind of like with Yoda and Luke, you know, yes. uh it's the exact same thing. But Yoda's helping him his awareness to open to understand the force. Yes. You know, which is also one of the reasons why I think those movies are so popular, is because it opened us to an idea of the force, which was that there's an energy around us. Like that's another huge milestone yes. in humanity yes. as well. That for me was the key to the whole movie. I, I loved that scene with Yoda and Mark Hamill playing Luke Skywalker. That was amazing. Right. Because <laughs> it really, it was showing, it showed so many funny things. It was so beautiful. <laughs> Everything then, from the master looking like a fool at the beginning. <laughs> I know, which is so great, which is so, so great. And with near-death experiencers, I think also if we continue down this analogy, which I think is helpful, hopefully people are, are sticking with us, is that near-death experiencers get to jump up to where, let's say, the higher self is, but you're in another room. So you get a glimpse of the building that they're in, but not the person or the energy or the of the higher self itself. So it's kind of a glimpse mm -hmm. of that area. And some people have larger glimpses than others. Um, but the same thing happens with psychedelics. And the psychedelics are, was it, oh, I think it was a yogi or a yogi who said, when you take a psychedelic, it's like taking a sledgehammer and breaking it down a wall to have the light come in, where meditation, you're putting in a window. <laughs> Isn't, that beautiful? Isn't, Isn't that so beautiful? beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that so beautiful? But it's very, so mm -hmm. psychedelics are like almost a roller coaster Mm -hmm. into that space not that near-death experiences aren't no. uh that's another one <laughs> very very abrupt but when you're yeah. doing it through meditation it's very subtle and organic as opposed to a, a, a jarring motion so little link doesn't have to die almost die and go up and have a near-death experience 
uh, he can meditate and get to these higher level of consciousness. And sometimes in this life, it might not happen. That's why you have multiple lives where Link comes in. If he dies, he comes back and comes back. And I always saw that as when I discovered reincarnation and I played video games, I was like, well, video games are just an analogy for life. And that's this is before I even, when I was a teenager, I was like, well, wait a minute. If, if you die, you have three lives, you come back and you try to figure it out again. And you come back and you try to figure it out again. And the difference Uh is that back then you could only play one Mm -hmm. character, but now you could come in and choose different avatars and go through the, the game in a different experience. You could be an elf. You could be a, a whatever, a monster. You could be an a, 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 um, ogre, whatever. And it's a same game, different perspective. It Yeah, we can go down this road for a long and, time. So. And the games are fun because they can go really quickly. Whereas with our lives, it can go slower. I did have a near-death experience when I was about five because I wanted to be I wanted to be dead again. It's like that was bliss, that was great. So I was a suicidal happy kid, not depressed, not nothing wrong in my life. I just felt like like it took me 5 years to figure out like oh my parents are not lying or exaggerating. I can if I do it right, I can jump in front of a fast moving car, has to be fast enough, have to aim it so my head gets crunched properly. Otherwise, I'll just be mangled. So I'd figured that all out and then um I thought okay, cool. So I can be back and bliss out in that between lives place again, which I love to be. But then there was this sort of intervention that occurred. <laughs> Angelic intervention. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know. So I walked in my house and I was going to my bedroom and time kept slowing down. It got really weird. And then suddenly these glowing figures were around me and they showed me, um, well, they t- showed me three things, three reasons why I would probably want to stay. The first one was um, that your parents would be very depressed and might never get over it. And I thought they'll get over it. <laughs> I know you're br- you're brutal. You're brutal. Oh, you're I, brutal. <laughs> horrible, horrible. It's so embarrassing. Like I would uh, not say that now, but it was a horrible thing. Yeah. Secondly, they said all the people that you could help, you won't be able to help. Like they'll find someone else. So brutal twice. I know it's it's so embarrassing, and it's even more embarrassing what they said that got me to stay. It's like it just gets more embarrassing. But the third one was, um, you chose to be here, and you're going to lose your five year head start. And I'm like, no, no, like I chose to be here and all like mind went tilt. Like I chose the, no, this planet's messed up. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to lose my five-year head start. And so that's you're going to come back because you're going to have yeah, to come back and they, do it they again. Said you, because you chose it, you're going to be back again. I'm like, so, oh no. So, so basically what would have happened is that you would have lost five years of experience points in the video game and yep. you would have to start from scratch and have yep. to start killing orgs to gain experience. <laughs> To get to the next level, you, but you already had. Sound f- so exotic. My, my <laughs> life was suburbs. It was nothing exotic. No orgs. <laughs> orgs or trolls. You had to fight to build these ex- this experience to move right. on to right. the next levels. But you're right. Yeah, and I believe wow. them. I believe them. So we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And now I, I've grown since then, clearly. I would actually understand that my life is not my own and I am here to serve. I understand that a lot better than I did at age five. That was embarrassing. So I was five, five years old. In my defense, yeah, cut, I was five. <laughs> cut, cut yourself a little, little slack. <laughs> Thank um, you. Now, Cynthia, the one thing in regards to this uh, idea of simulation theory or game theory in the spiritual game theory that we've been talking about yes. is people have a big problem and I've heard this a lot anytime I mention this on the show. And they're like, well, if life is just a game, 
then it's very disposable and you could just do bad things whenever you want and you don't have to worry about anything because you're going to come back and do it again anyway. How do you explain to them that's generally not the way it works? Well, the fastest way is to watch a very funny movie with Bill Murray called Groundhog's yes, Day. Yes, <laughs> the most spiritual movie ever made. It is awesome. So if you want the fast track, just spend an hour and a half, watch the movie, and then like, okay, I get it. And that's exactly it. Because we, you know, like I said, I'm on a short leash. I am. If I do things that are off course, I'll get it right back in my face, like instantly. So what I mean is um, like mind matter interaction stuff. So and I, it's not that I ever did that on purpose, but I, it's more like bad moods were being going out there. And I can't even think bad things about people because uh, I saw that come back. I, it, I just terrible things would happen. So it was like being in the movie Groundhog Day, but kind of in a psychic kind of weird way. <laughs> so no. I think so, just and, when you start noticing that's going on, then you got to stop it. You got to be like, okay, enough of that. I've learned. So, that, so then let's really quickly dive into the Groundhog's Day just a second, because yeah. I, anytime anyone says like, what's the most spiritual movie you've ever seen? I go, it's Groundhog's Day. It's just, no, uh, yeah. it's Groundhog's Day. I mean, I mean, there's the Matrix, which has other com conversations yeah, in that, but, okay. and there's uh, Shawshank Redemption has a very deep spiritual connotation. But there's nothing that explains, in my eyes, the concept of what the soul goes through better yes. than Groundhog's Day. And people are like, you're crazy. I go, give me a second. And you just go through it. I go, what happens when you have everything you've ever wanted and you understand you have nothing, that there is no repercussions for what you do? Because there is no repercussion right. in the movie because he just wakes up the next day and does it again. Right. So what does he do? He lives in the material world, eats whatever <laughs> he wants, has sex with everybody he can, starts to steal money, starts, it's all material, material, material. Then he gets bored because that's what happens with materialism. <laughs> there's only so many more houses you can buy. There's so many, so much sex you can have. There's only so much money you can eat. There's so much food you can enjoy. It limit, it's limiting. It's a, it's, it's very limiting. So then he starts to like, well, wait a minute. If I want to try to get out of here, I have to <laughs> maybe help people. And he well, starts there, to, there's the oh, no, there was a, there was the yeah. funny stuff where he grabs the groundhog and he's like killing the groundhog. And I, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I have to kill you. And it's like, you know, that's right. <laughs> and he tries to kill the groundhog and the groundhog says, don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. Uh, and he went to the dark side, <laughs> but, then, went, but then, but then after that little, yeah, <laughs> that was right. Funny. But then, then he starts to try to think, well, maybe I have to help people. And and then yes. he, then he starts to get to that point or he yeah. started to learn things instead. He's like, well, maybe I could just educate myself about things and became a pianist and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. And, and I love one comment that he had in one of the, one of the lives, he's talking to Andy McDowell and he's like, I think I'm God. I think I'm God because Maybe God is just not all knowing. Maybe he's just been around so long. He knows everything. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and I'm like, what? that's a deep, deep mm -hmm. statement. It is about, very deep. It's such a deep statement about life and about what we're going through. And then the concept that we are all God or all pieces of God yes. in, in our own creation, in our own experience. It just goes out. So if you guys haven't seen, please go watch Groundhog's Day. It will enlighten you. <laughs> Another great movie, just while we're on it, is Defending Your Life. That one. Oh, really oh, I love <laughs> Defending Your Life. Defending Your Life is also mm -hmm. such a wonderful, wonderful yeah. film with Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. About love story in the afterlife. Yeah. Love story in the afterlife and only the way Albert Brooks could do it in this. You have to defend your life. There's attorneys. 
How many days did you get? Seven. Oh my God, you had a horrible life. I only got three. And like this, like, and they could eat whatever they want as much as they yep. want. And everything tastes amazing. <laughs> yeah. Absolute brilliance. Absolutely. One of those films that's that this doesn't get as much attention as it should, defending no, it your life. Yeah. Um, Cindy, I can talk to you for another two, three hours. Uh, this has been so much fun. Uh, I hope it's helped some people make them think a little bit differently about life and maybe help them go down a couple more rabbit holes that maybe we'll talk about in another conversation one day. Uh, but I'm going to ask you a few questions to ask all my guests. Uh, how do you define a fulfilling life? Ah, that's one of deepest awareness of, of love, really. It's just knowing all the levels of love that you're capable of feeling. And that may sound fluffy, but it's not. It's <laughs> Because if you go into stillness, then you can find the deep, for me, that's like connection directly with source. And then if even in the little moments when you realize what if everything is God all around us, you know, what if we are all connected at that level? You know, that's very deeply, profoundly meaningful. If you had a chance to go back in time and talk to little Cynthia, what advice would you give her? Don't take things so seriously. Have fun. Relax. (laughs) I think I was a little bit too you know, solemn. <laughs> Everything's fine. I just say it's, it's Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. Uh, how do you define God? Uh, it's just that perfect awareness of um, all creation, all connection. It's so much more than I can put in words. It's, it just feels like this limitless overflowing love and kindness it's so great that that's why I wanted to suicide when I was a happy kid at age five, but I don't recommend it. Don't do this. <laughs> please, please do not. No, do you'll not. just be it's back not, again. You're gonna. It's gonna. You're gonna lose your five year head start. There um, you go. Maybe and, more than five uh, years. <laughs> maybe more. Uh, and what is the ultimate purpose of life? Ah, it's for me. It's to learn and to expand into becoming more. It is more like God, not God-like, but more aware that any, for me, it's just to recognize that I've got the capability if I want to, and I do, to be the best I can be so that if anyone touches me and my energy field or my reality bubble, that they are touching this great love that is direct from source. And where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing and pick up your books? Uh, that's my website is reality shifters, plural, dot com, And I've got a newsletter there. The other website that I'm affiliated with is imec.world. That's for International Mandela Effect Conference.world. We're having a conference at Labor Day weekend this year. And otherwise, every month we have a live stream, pretty much, except we're skipping August because we're getting ready for our big event in Connecticut, Labor Day weekend. And does and does do people just come in there and start giving you examples of like Jiffy and and cornucopia and that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's it, when you have an in person gathering. This is the first one we've done since 2019. It's amazing because people you can let your guard down finally because otherwise, if you try to tell your family and friends or neighbors about this, it can't doesn't always go that well. <laughs> you know, very seldom are people as into the subject as some of us are, and there can be a lot of gaslighting that happens. But when you're surrounded with people who understand and appreciate these things, it's indescribable how good it feels. It feels just like being dead again for me, like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad taste of my meal. But <laughs> and do you have any party messages for the audience? Oh, just keep asking my favorite question in every situation, which is how good can it get? 
My dear, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been so much fun talking to you and going down these rabbit holes. And uh, I'm still I'm still upset about the kidney. I'm still upset about Costco. There's many <laughs> things that I have to rethink about my life, but I appreciate you and the work you're doing in the world, my dear. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Take care. I want to thank Cynthia so much for coming on the show and blowing our minds with this amazing conversation about the Mandela effect. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 318. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.